We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On yesterday's show, I talked about the need to return to truth with a capital T as our standard for deciding who's right and who's wrong. Truth as the referee of the debate, of the argument, of disagreement. On today's show, I'm going to double down on that and respond to some of my critics who say, you're being arrogant. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's show. Welcome to The Rebellion. On yesterday's program, as I said in the introduction, I talked about what I called a time for truth, and that this is the time, this is the day, this is the year that we need to understand that the mess we're in right now has a cause. And the cause is this, we've abandoned the truth. Truth no longer exists in our culture. This is a culture that utters the mantra, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. This is a culture of whateverism, that whatever you choose as your religion, as your sex, as your gender, as your morality, whatever you choose to do is okay as long is it feels good to you. This is a generation, this is a culture, this is now a country of feelings over facts rather than facts trumping and governing our feelings. This is a culture of lies rather than truth. And that's the reason we can't get along anymore. That was yesterday's message. That's what I tried to convey in yesterday's show. Today, I'm going to double down on that argument a bit. It's Not all that different than stuff I've said to you before, but it's so important. This is the priority of our time. We can talk about everything else. We can talk about politics. We can talk about economics. We can talk about pandemic. We can talk about a lot of different things, Republicans versus Democrats, independents versus libertarians. We can talk about all of this stuff But I'm going to argue again that none of it matters if we can't talk about these things in the context of something bigger and better than you or me, being the judge of that conversation, that debate, that disagreement, that argument. Something has to stand on the sidelines and blow the whistle and say, you're out of bounds. You're wrong. The other guy's right. He played within the rules. You need to get back inside the boundaries. Something has to be a referee or we can't play the game. We know this in our daily lives. You can't play basketball without boundary boundaries and rules. Likewise, soccer or baseball. You can't play any of these sports without a referee or an umpire. 
You can't engage in music unless you understand the laws of music, the rules of music, of rhyme and rhythm and cadence. And if you try to play music without understanding those principles, those rules that are bigger and better than you or me, then you're not performing a concerto. It's nothing but chaos. It doesn't sound good. It's not music. It's just noise. We know this about the way we live our daily lives, but now we're ignoring it when it comes to the public square, public policy, social philosophy and policy, the things that make our country work. So today I'm going to talk about truth again. I'm going to respond to at least one or two of my critics who have suggested, well, your argument for objective truth is arrogant. Who are you to say what's objectively true and what's not? I'm going to respond to that question. Now, another thing you may notice before we take a break here is that I'm still growling. I have a chest cold. I think I can still conduct this show. I think you can understand me, but forgive me for that compromise in my voice. Don't panic. Don't panic. You can't catch COVID through the airwaves. You can't catch COVID by listening to a radio show or a podcast. I know the grand and glorious Dr. Fauci may say otherwise, and your progressive friends may say shame on him for going on radio without a mask or doing a podcast without a mask because he clearly is sick. My land. That's how asinine our culture is right now. I could actually see somebody saying that. Can't you? I mean, you can actually conjure up in your imagination right now some idiot in Washington, D.C., San Francisco, New York City, actually suggesting that you shouldn't go on the airwaves unless you have a mask. I mean, they just tried it with Ted Cruz. He approached a microphone in Washington, D.C., and there was social distancing, and the reporters were there, and Ted Cruz didn't have a mask on as he was speaking to the cameras and talking into the microphone. And one of the reporters rudely interrupted him and said, would you put on a mask, Senator? And he said, no, I won't. He said, I've been vaccinated. I'm following protocol. I don't wear a mask when I'm speaking to the cameras or behind a microphone. And the reporter responded and said, well, please put your mask on because it would make us feel better. Ted Cruz's response was classic. He just said, well, then just please step away. You have the freedom to do that. He silenced the reporter right there. And that's that's the response. If you don't like the fact that I'm growling or I'm gravelly as I uh, stand in a, in a restaurant where you are, or if I'm out on the sidewalk and I cough or I sneeze, then step away. Don't treat me like a leper. I'm not going to treat you that way. Uh, I might just take a step back if I'm worried that you're being insensitive to me or others around me by sneezing toward us or coughing on us. Oh, we, we live in a time where we've literally lost our minds. This COVID pandemic has exposed that. Ah, uh, That's a sidebar. That's a rabbit trail. Let's take a break. And when I get back, I'm going to talk about the state of our culture, the devastating consequences of abandoning truth, the subtitle to my first book, Not a Daycare. And maybe a little bit about how we got here and a response to a response to a critic or two. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion. 
and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. Before we get into the rest of the show, I want to remind you that if you'd like to join The Rebellion, I obviously encourage you to do so. And you can do that by going to patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. That's patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. Patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. For those of you who join the rebellion, I have a, a stash of my first book, Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas. If you join the rebellion at $20 or more per month, I'll send you a free copy of that book signed. So go to patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R and you can get a signed copy of my first book, Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas. I'm actually going to be taking some content out of that book for today's show. Also, um, in the coming year, for subscribers of The Rebellion, if you would like me to come to your Rotary Club, to your political um, gathering, in your area, in your county, in your state, or your, if you'd like me to come to your church, or any other event for that matter, and speak, I'm going to be offering a serious discount to all Patreon, excuse me, to all Rebellion members. So if you're a Rebellion member and you're subscribing at $20 or more per month, you'll get a free copy of Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas signed by me. And I'll also give you a substantial discount in my speaking fees if you want me to come to your church, to your Rotary group, to your um, political event, or any other speaking engagement. So let's get to today's show. Thanks for bearing with me on that little promotion there. So I want to I want to paint a picture for you. Um, let me just say this. I want you to let's play imagination, okay? I want you to imagine with me for just a minute. I want you to imagine that we live in a day. Just close your eyes if you want. Do whatever you want, but put on your imagination hat. Imagine that we live in a day where we've intentionally severed a man's arm from his body, and then we turn around and we expect him to win a fight. Think about that. Ludicrous, isn't it? Imagine that we live in a time where we pluck out a woman's eyes and then ask her to paint her own portrait. Imagine that we live in a time and a place where we surgically remove a child's frontal lobe and then demand that she explain an algebraic formula. This, I've talked about these kind of ideas in the past, these absurd, extreme ideas that we cut off people's arms and expect them to fight. We pluck out people's eyes and expect them to see. We remove portions of their brain and expect them to think. It's, it's like you're imagining that we live in a world that C.S. Lewis warned of in a lot of his writings, in his dystopian no novel, The Hideous Strength, in Abolition of Man, The Great Divorce. This is what C.S. Lewis was warning of in a lot of his works, he warned of the elite among us actually claiming that it makes sense to Lewis's language, geld the stallion and bid him be fruitful. We remove the organ and demand the function. We create men 
without chests. We laugh at honor. We steal it. We mock it. We ridicule it. We expunge it from our children. And then we're shocked to find traitors in our midst. So I want you to imagine that we live in a time and a place where the wise folks, the Anthony Fauci's, the AOC's, the Chuck Schumer's, the Nancy Pelosi's, you know, those smart people in Washington, D.C., and those smart people in our schools, in our classrooms, and even the smart folks in our churches, these folks are actually working to remove a man's soul, and then they expect him to stay out of hell. Everything's backwards. It's upside down. Well, I'm arguing in my commentary on truth that that day is here. That day's on us. I've said this a thousand times over. You should be able to you should be able to say in this next paragraph if you listen to this show routinely. Bad ideas will breed bad behavior as surely as an acorn will grow. An oak or a hurricane will bring a flood. You know, some things are predictable. You know, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And when you know that these ideas have always borne bad fruit in the past, why would you expect anything different in the future? I mean... After decades of teaching sexual promiscuity in our schools, why are we surprised to find a lack of sexual restraint in our students? I mean, you know, it's hand in glove here, people. You teach guys how to use a condom and you tear down the Ten Commandments from your school walls. What do you think they're going to do? Teach lecture, you're going to get lectures. Why are we surprised at the selfishness of our culture? When our schools teach self-esteem and self-affirmation and self-awareness and social-emotional learning more effectively than they do mathematics, science, and civics, you're going to get self-absorbed and narcissistic students when you teach self-absorption and narcissism. How can you possibly think that teaching values clarification rather than moral absolutes, why would that result in a moral or virtuous people. It's not. It's not because values clarification is all relative and arbitrary and it's self-reflective rather than revealed from outside. It's constructed from within. You're not going to get moral people when you tell them that they can make it up as they go. You're going to get vice rather than virtue, folks. Let me ask it this way. Where, where in the annals of all of history is there any evidence that the subordination of one person's right to live to another person's right to choose ever resulted in the protection of every person's unalienable right to life? Again, ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. One more time, ideas have consequences. I mean, we see it in everything. You know, after our culture has spent decades diminishing the value of marital fidelity, are you surprised that that same culture, America, the United States, stumbled over itself, rushing to dumb down the meaning of marriage and change it in a day, in a day. In the Obergefell decision, the Supreme Court just decided that marriage is something different than it's been for thousands of years. Why? Because we were teaching terrible ideas that led to those decisions, that terrible behavior. I could go on and on and on. The list is endless. The bottom line is the evidence is clear. All you need to do is turn on the nightly news to see the proof. Listen to your radio, 
listen to your podcast, look at your iPhone, open up your laptop. And if you're an old, archaic person that actually enjoys something physical in your hands like a newspaper or a magazine, all you need to do is read. Read a little bit. When we separate fact from faith and head from heart, and when we sever belief from behavior or religion from reason, you don't get a day of liberty. You're going to get one of licentiousness. You're going to become, we're going to become, your children, your progeny are going to become men without chests. Again, back to C.S. Lewis. And what did he mean by that? This is what he meant. There would be nothing but a gaping cavity in the center of your being. And instead of finding the fullness, which comes from fidelity, you're going to find the emptiness of a, of a, of a love affair gone bad. You're going to be a man and a woman without a chest, without a heart, without a soul. You're just going to have a hole where you should have that defining character. That's what he meant by men without chests. We remove the organ and we demand the function. We've gelded the stallion and we bid him be fruitful. Well, this imagination game, it's not imagination, it's real. We do live in that day and that time. We're, we're standing in uh, what Lewis said, we're standing on the wrong side of the door. Uh, we've entered into a room that's filled with lies rather than standing in the other room on the other side of the door that's governed by truth. We're in, in, in this room that's stagnant with the with uh, heavy air of our own hypocrisy. I mean, here, let me give you some examples. We boast of freedom and yet we live in bondage to our own deception. We champion civil liberties, yet we ignore human rights. The human rights that are promised to us by tradition and reason and our own constitution. We say that women should not be subjugated to the power and passions of men, right? That's what a feminist believes. But then we embrace leaders who publicly use women for their own selfish whims. And that's true on the Republican and the Democratic side. Um, we... We draw a line in the sand to defend the innocence of children, and we puff our chests up as if we're some great leader. But then at the same time, we enjoy entertainment that blurs the boundaries between our own children and predatory adults who are anything but innocent. Um, I mean, we, we act like a, a Jeffrey Epstein was some evil person, and I, I agree, he was. But he wouldn't even be a point of discussion if the girls involved were just 24 months older than what they were. I mean, that's how arbitrary our morality has become. That whole story wouldn't even be a story if these girls were just a handful or two of months older. This arbitrary line of morality that uh, we've, we've embraced is just nuts. It makes no sense. And by the way, sidebar here, why aren't we going after all of these debauched men that were involved in this story? Why? Why are we just going after Epstein's madam? Why is she being persecuted 
And nobody seems to be talking about these scumbags that are multiple, multiple levels deep, ranging from President of the United States, Bill Clinton, on down through the royal family of England, and some of the major oligarchs that are now trying to control our lives in this pandemic. Nobody's talking about going after them. Does that not cause you to raise an eyebrow? So my point is this. We've become people of the lie. That's M. Scott Peck's language. People of the lie. It's, it's as if the road to hell is right there before us. And we're entering its gates, strutting with the confidence of an emperor with no clothes. And anytime anyone, anyone challenges that emperor and says, this makes no sense, that guy's naked. The, the media, the intelligentsia, the academics, the politicians, and unfortunately even some of our pastoral leaders turn around and belittle the naivete of that child standing in the parade who dared to shout out of the emperor's birthday suit, if you will. So, here's my point. Ideas have consequences. Standard mantra of this show, our ideas matter. They always lead somewhere. They always lead somewhere. They either lead toward liberty that's found in what is right and just and real. Capital R, capital J, capital R again. What is right and just and real. And true with a capital T. Or, or I, our ideas will lead toward slavery and an ugly hell made of our own dysfunction and deceit. That's just a fact of life, folks. That's the way it works. But one of my critics has shouted out uh, recently, um, your position is an arrogant position. You're saying that truth is an objective absolute, and that's arrogant. That's the problem with you conservatives. You always think you're right. You're the real enemies of truth because you argue for absolutes rather than support the process of dialogue, the narrative, the constructs of those who pursue truth in the broader society. You're arguing for this revelation from outside that you can only understand, whereas the rest of us are trying to build up our truths as we go. You're arrogant. We're not. Well, stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. Uh, I'm not going to call those people names. I mean, really try to discipline myself. Uh, I want to honor the dignity of people, even though I think their ideas are foolish and stupid. Um, that's the way you engage in debate, if you're a conservative. Um, that's one of the problems we have in our culture right now. It digresses and degenerates into name-calling and anger and yelling and intimidation, these emotional tactics of the left and sometimes the right. You who are listening to me right now who are conservative, consider yourself on the right. Don't allow that to happen. Don't take the bait to start getting emotional. Stay on task. 
stay on task. Don't get distracted. Don't attack the messenger. 1 Corinthians in the Bible, as well as Socrates, Socratic logic, both Christianity and rational logic condemns this gamesmanship of ad hominem attacks. But with that all said, I'm going to respond to this, this claim that conservatives are arrogant, that I'm arrogant because I am arguing that there's a self-evident truth, an objective reality that comes from outside, and that, yeah, you can understand it, you can know it, and that when the Apostle Paul said the truth of God is written on every human heart, and that when our founding fathers referred to self-evident truths, they were referring to natural law, what C.S. Lewis calls the Tao, what many of us call common sense, sense that's common. You know, I, I hear this critique that you guys are arrogant, who believe in objective truth, self-evident truth, natural law, common sense. And I just have to smile. I just have to smile a little bit. Yeah, they're claiming that objective truth is arrogant, or the belief in objective truth is arrogant, and that the real enemies of truth are people who argue for absolutes, that's their language, rather than those of those on that side that contest such constructs. That's their language. But here's my question. I, I want the I want if you fall in that camp and you're listening to this just because you for whatever reason you're <laughs> you're a masochist and you want to listen to my words uh, on a routine basis and disagree with them, I don't know. But if you're listening to this and you take that position that the real enemies of truth are people like me who argue for absolutes, um, <laughs> what are you talking about? Doesn't your own logic assume that there's an objective standard of measurement that you're using to condemn me <laughs> for referring to logic and absolutes? In other words, you're referring to an absolute standard, a logical standard, to condemn me for arguing for logical and absolute standards. The proposition of your argument, in other words, that you are absolutely right in believing that absolutists like me are absolutely wrong for believing in absolutes makes me a bit dizzy, and it should you too, because it's circular at best. It's self-refuting and hypocritical in the extreme. You should see the problem if you're taking that position. You you are inadvertently affirming the case for absolutes by using absolute language to refute it. Don't you get it? So here's my point as we draw today's show to a close. Even those who disagree with me when I argue for absolutes have to do so by referring to some sort of absolute to refute refute me. In other words, they're sawing off the branch upon which they sit. They're saying the problem with you is you're arrogant. You think there's an absolute truth when they're arrogant enough to think they can make up truth as they go along rather than just bow before some existing self-evident revelation. It's hypocritical. It's duplicitous. And that's why we can't get along until we admit that there is a judge outside of the debate. And it can't be you, it can't be me. It has to be what the Bible tells us. The truth 
made flesh and dwelling among us. Because only that truth will set us free. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.